The Black Male Archives, where we capture, curate, and promote positive stories about black men. All right, welcome back to the Black Male Archives. I am your host, Rodney Freeman, and we have with us Mr. Erickson. Um, how are you doing today, sir? Doing very well, doing very well. Thank you. Well, we wanted to talk to you because you're an archivist in your field, and we wanted to see what your journey was, and we know that you have a new book out. Um, so if you can tell the listeners a little bit about your background and where you're from. Okay, well, um, just to uh, correct the record a little bit, um, so I have an archival background, um, but I'm not technically an arch- archivist. Uh, right now I'm working as a curator, um, and uh, I've been working in special collections for about 15 years. Um, and, you know, I primarily work in, in rare books um, and rare book librarianship. Um, and then uh, in terms of the book, it is not that the entire book is not mine. It's just a chapter in uh, an edited volume um, called uh, uh, Archives and Special Collections as Sites of Contestation. I can't say that word. Contestation. There we are. Uh, there it is. Um, so, um, so, yeah, just a little bit um, of background there. Um, let's see. I have been working in this field for quite some time. I got my start um, at uh, Los Angeles Public Library, you know, uh, as a messenger clerk. So, you know, doing the very, very basics um, in terms of collection maintenance, shelving, shelf reading, that sort of thing. Um, and then I got my start in rare books um, through the Getty Center. And at the Getty Center, um, I worked in the medieval manuscripts department uh, under Thomas Crenn and Elizabeth Morrison. Um and that was sort of my my entry point into um, the world of um, archives and rare books. And then um, studied at UCLA, where I got my um, my doctorate and my MLIS uh, in information studies. Um, but I also worked there for about, mm, about I want to say between uh, four and five years. Mm-hmm. Um, in it, that in in that position, I did do a lot of archival processing uh, and. Um, worked with uh, the manuscripts department there um, under Dr. Richard Rouse to provide an index for the medieval and Renaissance manuscript collection there. Um, And then from there, after my my, um, dissertation, which was on black literacy practices in special collections libraries, uh, I was able to get um, a a postdoctoral position at the University of Delaware, which eventually uh, turned into a permanent position um, it, which was a joint appointment in the uh, Department of English, where I taught uh, Victorian literature and classes built around specific uh, special collections and rare book collections uh, on site there. Uh, Alice Dunbar Nelson's collection, uh, for instance, was a, was a, was a um, literary collection that I mm-hmm. uh, taught quite extensively with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I also worked in in the special collections department there with rare books. So tell, tell us, okay. And, and thank you for, for definitely uh, clarifying that. So tell us a little bit about working with rare books and how that's, how that's a little bit different from being your, your traditional librarian. You know, that's an interesting question. Um, so, you know, I think these, in the past, there was a strict division, mm-hmm. right. Between uh, what archivists did and what rare book librarians did. And oftentimes, you know, their spaces were separated. And even though, you know, there was a lot of um, intersections between the work, 
there was a you know a clear divide. Mm-hmm. But I think nowadays, increasingly, uh, it's getting a lot blurrier. The lines are getting mm-hmm. a lot blurrier. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's been my experience, mm-hmm. um, especially when you're dealing with with manuscripts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, literary manuscripts in particular. Uh, you know, a lot of times, what archivists will be dealing with are personal papers from um, famous figures, authors of note, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, and and that very much ties into what uh, rare book librarians would do. Mm-hmm. But I think the main difference is that um, rare book librarians tend to focus on um, works in print, right, in the history of the book um, and book objects. Um, but you know, when you're thinking about scrapbooks, when you're thinking about ephemera, when you're thinking about, you know, what they call samoban, which is books bound within books, you know, multiple books bound together. Uh, when you're thinking about extra illustrated books, right, which are, you know, books that have been augmented in some way with, um, with you know, extra material that's been grangerized, cut out, added in, drawn in, uh, in some way, you know, it, it gets very messy. Right. And some of that stuff will yeah. fall into an archival collection. Right. right. And, and and other times, you know, they're, they're going to live uh, with the other rare book collections. And okay. that's 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 very that's very much my experience here in Morgan, where, you know, I'm in charge of a, of a very large collection, for instance, of extra illustrated books. Right. Okay. But we do have um, uh, various you know archival collections that are not under my purview. They're not. Um. Under my purview at all. Man, so it's interesting. What what motivated you to, to kind of go down this path? Well, um, this was this was a dream of mine. So my mother, you know, she was really um, keen on the, the Huntington Library and Botanical Gardens. I grew up in Los Angeles. And um, and she used to take me there to the gardens. And that was my first exposure to the world of rare books because I um in at the Huntington Library, which is in San Marino, uh, Pasadena area, uh, it's one. It's, a, it's another fantastic, world-renowned collection. Mm-hmm. And I saw the Gutenberg Bible there. You know, the first uh, book printed in the West. Uh, I saw, you know, Ellesmere Chaucer, that sort of thing. And I really fell in love with these beautiful books, you know, as objects. But I didn't think, you know, there's not a lot of, especially back then. This is in the '90s. There, there, there practically were hardly any people of color working in the field. Mm-hmm. And um, and so it never occurred to me that I could do something like that. Okay. But um, as I, you know, you know, I started thinking about what I wanted to do in life, and realized that my passion was in libraries. And then I realized, you know, I well, what happened was I was looking at how how you become a librarian, and um, sort of an advertisement for the rare book school was opening up in California. That came up, mm-hmm. and a light bulb went off in my head, and I said, oh my gosh, like. If I can go to a rare book school, I can work at a place like the Huntington, yeah, and and actually, you know, work with these with these beautiful historic uh, artifacts, and um, and so that really lit a fire under me, and from that point on, uh, I I gave it everything I I got, you know. Yeah, and you and you said something interesting to me that you know, even when I was going through library school, I did not see that many black males. Uh, you know, being actually librarians and administrators. So, so now, you know, when you got into your program and then at your level as, as, as a curator, how do you encourage more, you know, people of color uh, coming into this field and doing what you're doing? Uh, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's really difficult, you know, and it's been a difficult path. 
Um, a lot of my ideas, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago were very controversial. Um, I wanted to look specifically at uh, the ways in which uh, the book Objects informs our understanding of race and ethnicity, right? Um, and it was my sort of understanding that books as a material object, not just the content, right, but the, but the objects themselves, the, the sort of packaging, um, uh, help to shape our understanding of racial and ethnic identity. And, you know, over a decade ago, when I first introduced these ideas, uh, you know, it was really difficult for people to see those connections. Now, you know, it's sort of a burgeoning field of scholarship, and it's really sort of vindicating and exciting to see that. Um, but I've always, I was always sort of upfront and open about my intentions, about my, my desire to, to break in in a historically exclusive field, really relying on a community of people, community of folks, mentors, supporters, building you know, um, uh, relationships uh, with, with people that I could draw upon as future allies, um, uh, people that sort of saw my vision, right? Um, and, you know, this is it's definitely, <laughs> I, I couldn't have gotten to the place that I'm at now without the support of numerous people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just staying true to, to my vision uh, and relying on those networks to, to kind of um, carry me through to each next, each next step along the way. What do you see, how, what do you see the, the, the future, what, what does that in hold? What does that look like when, it, when you talk about rare books and librarianship? Right. So this is really, that's a great question because this is really important to me. I really, really, really believe in um, the power of reading um, and literacy. And I, I believe in the importance of these histories, right? And what, and what rare books and archives can tell us about um, various histories of various communities across the globe and the ways that we connect, right, as a human family. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe in the sustainability, right, of these institutions, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm looking long term for the sustain, looking out long term for the sustainability of these institutions, mm -hmm. right? It's really important to me. So with that in mind, you know, as I see older generations sort of aging out, right? Mm -hmm. I'm looking around for the new generations that are going to come up and see the importance and the value of these objects, of these institutions, of these stories, mm -hmm. right? And what we, they could offer to communities. But in order to, you know, um, keep that sustainability alive going, we have to, you know, it's not, we can't take it for granted. We have to show the relevance yeah. of these collections yeah. and to show the re relevance of these collections and to keep them, you know, relevant to younger and more diverse generations that takes a lot of work, right? And a lot of effort, a lot of outreach, and a lot of creative thinking about how we can make the field and these institutions more inclusive, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And and I th that really drives me. That gets me up in the morning, and mm -hmm. you know, even when when days are, are, are more difficult, um, it, it, it keeps me motivated. Yeah. Is there is there is there <laughs> Is there a favorite collection that you or favorite project that you that you that you worked on? Like, you know, you just really had to to speak about and tell people about that people might not be aware of? Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, most recently uh, at the University of Delaware, I worked with the, the Rosenbach in Philadelphia mm -hmm. um, and we had sort of a, a, a collaborative partnership on a major exhibition 
uh, a digital exhibition. It went digital uh, after because mm -hmm. this it was it opened during the pandemic of um, an individual named Alice Dunbar Nelson. Right, she was the um, the wife of Paul Lawrence Dunbar, um, mm -hmm. but she actually you know was much <laughs> in, in many ways more prolific than than he was because her career was much longer. Mm -hmm. Right, so she was an activist, poet, writer, teacher. You know, um, just <laughs> the whole package. And I did a lot of work on her archive. Um, I uh, did a, a, I completed a, a digital scholarship project on her her reading journals. Mm -hmm. Kept reading journals for about twenty years, and I transcribed those and mined the and and mined the data from that and, and sort mm -hmm. of visualized the data from from those reading journals in interesting ways. So you can get a very granular picture of what a black woman in the early twentieth century would have been reading. You yeah. know what what inspired her uh, and her work. Um, and the, the exhibition was fantastic. You know, the process mm -hmm. of working with, with the Rosenbach uh, was really, really informative. We had an advisory board um, with, you know, a lot of the, the, the movers and shakers in the Philadelphia area uh, to help, um, you know, sort of um, flesh out the vision for, for the project, mm -hmm. um, which was, you know, intensely collaborative. So I, I thought it was a great success. Uh, it was a lot of fun to work on. Um, and I learned a lot along the way. And she's just a really, really inspirational figure. Um, for those of you who don't know about Alison Barnelson's work or her life, I, I really encourage you to, to, to look up her biography because it's very inspirational. That's what's up, man. We, and I, got, I got one more question for you. How do you see rare books in uh, this new metaverse or uh, virtual reality? Do you see that intersecting at any point, too, um, on how people can access some of these collections? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's great that you asked this question. I'm um, I'm uh, very much a proponent of engaging with new technologies and finding ways to um, for for the old to become new in in new platforms and new formats, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny you say that because my son, who's who's five, you know, uh, you know, I've raised him up so far, you know. To, to to cultivate a love of, of books and reading in him at a very early age, but he still loves. He spends a lot of time on in the metaverse. Yeah, you know, he's a yeah. he's he's a, he's sort of a gamer. He plays Roblox, and that's good because he keeps yeah. me fresh. Yeah. Um, so I'm learning from him, right, about you know these new and exciting worlds. And um, during the pandemic, when I was teaching um, uh, courses in the history of the book, I was teaching a, a descriptive bibliography course. Mm -hmm. And in that course, um, I had to come up with a way to 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 teach it in you know in a in a remote setting, right? Which is very challenging because we want to work with the with the materials, right? Um, so I came up with some strategies so that the students could work with the materials at home, but also mm -hmm. engage with technology and maximize its affordances, right? Instead of like resisting that mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. saying, oh well, you know, we really are more concerned with with the antiquarian book as the material object. So um, technology is sort of a barrier to that. Mm -hmm. I took, I, I kind of flipped that and, and said, no, we can engage with technology to learn more about the antiquarian books. And so I used, um, you know, low tech uh, virtual reality to explore um, bibliographical concepts in different ways. So we mm -hmm. use like uh, Google arts and culture um, and, um, uh, some other uh, virtual reality platforms that you could use with a cardboard VR set right. and uh, created these uh, uh, 
sort of scenarios and um, and different uh, tours uh, that one could take in the metaverse where they could explore the history of a particular book. Um, this being in, in, in this class, it was a, a 19th century um, focus on black, 19th century black women writers. So we were looking at, you know, um, uh, Victoria Earl Matthews mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, Catherine D. Tillman and, and, and others. Right. Mm-hmm. So sort of uh, unpacking not just the author's biographies, but the history of the publishing history of their their sort of you know literary corpus and um, using virtual reality technology to be able to m- create maps that you could explore in the metaverse and mm-hmm. learn more about their works that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the students, you know, it was a, it was a, it, there was a, <laughs> it was kind of a learning curve, right. To, to get, get a handle around the technology and learn how to, you know, interact with these digital objects while learning, you know, um, you know, sort of the, the basic principle principles and fundamentals of, of descriptive bibliography, mm-hmm. um, which are very academic sort of subfield. Um, but, you know, by the end of the semester, you know, they, they really surprised me mm-hmm. with their output. And uh, I was just you know, really, really um, uh, just impressed uh, with, with, with the outcomes. And, uh, and I learned a lot along the way as well. That's what's up, man. That's what's up, man. Um, do you have any uh, projects that you're working on right now that you want the listeners to know about? Um, so right now, I mean, I have a lot of publications coming out. Um, I have, there's going to be a piece in rare books and manuscripts, um, which is a a journal for, for, um, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, ACRL's, I don't want to get, get lost into the acronyms here, but it's a, you know, a branch of the American library associations, um, uh, sort of rare book division, uh, on black bibliography and uh the intersection of black bibliography and black and black print culture right Mm, Uh, and uh so i'm excited about that article Uh, i'm also a co-editor for the papers of the bibliographical society of america and um we have uh, a special issue coming out um this this summer uh on black bibliography and a lot of the work that's gone into black bibliography uh over the past couple of years and past i guess like four or five years now so, you know, just be on the lookout for that. It's really exciting stuff. Okay. And can you get, and, and I know we said, we, we mentioned this earlier. Can you give a little bit of um, an overview about the, the, the article that you just, um, that was just published? Um, oh, so the gentleman's ghost. So the gentleman's ghost, um, it's, it's a chapter um, in the aforementioned book. Um, and that's where I really, it, this is, this came out of my dissertation research where part of one of the chapters in my dissertation um, I looked at how the architecture and interiority, interior design of spaces, of research mm-hmm. spaces, could affect the research process, and how some of the the history of these spaces uh, have been inherently exclusive by mm-hmm. um, by sort of privileging uh, narratives of Eurocentrism, right, um, and colonialism, right, mm-hmm. and um, and so the chapter really kind of takes a deep dive into those questions. Uh, what does it mean when you're trying to do research in a space where all the, you know, sort of um, uh, decorations and, and interior design aspects uh, are communicating signifiers of, you know, of exclusivity, right? Of, yeah. 
yeah. of, you know, um, if you're from an underrepresented group of your demographic being not welcome in that space, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and so that's that's basically what I was looking at there. And, you know, um, I spent a lot of time looking at that question and some of the, um, the conclusions that I was able to draw is that, you know, in many cases, the history of these spaces um, is inextricably intertwined, right? Mm -hmm with uh, the design and uh, the architecture, especially when you're dealing with um, historic houses, because mm -hmm. a lot of times these are the houses that people actually lived in, right? Mm -hmm. Worked in, um, uh, gentlemen's studies and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and in those cases, you know, the, the goal is to contextualize those histories, right? Be open and transparent about those histories so that you can engage with various communities in different ways. But the, I think the, the the big takeaway was for, for um, special collections that have the ability to um, design, to rethink the way that they're designed, to design their spaces in different ways, that to start exploring those models. Because, yeah. uh, you know, it, it was my experience that people were uh, in the past were very much inclined to just adopt what has been done before and to model their spaces off of, you know, these these yeah. other, you know, historical examples, right? right? So the, so the, the chapter was really posing the question, well, what, what can you do when you're thinking about a different model? What can you do when you're thinking about the future and, and thinking about, you know, um, uh, integrating inclusivity in your design from, from the ground up, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's mm -hmm. in terms of accessibility, that's in terms of, um, of, of diversity, of, of different um, cultures and, and communities and, and different ways that people can use the space, even different research practices, right? Um, different ways of, of conducting um, uh, the production of knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. It could be conversational. It could be, you know, it doesn't have to be sort of this this individual project of of a single researcher interacting with a single collection to to make discoveries, right? It can be um, like a conversational process process where people are talking about collections. You know, yeah. How do we support that kind of work? Yeah, yeah, man. This this is really interesting. You know, of course, I I, I don't know if you know my background, but I, I used to be a librarian, so. I'm fascinated by this stuff because, and then also I'm fascinated just because I don't get to interview that many black male librarians. Um, so I, I do appreciate that because I feel like uh, they actually are the superstars. So all librarians are the superstars, but black male librarians are the superstars because there are, I think there are a lot of things that we go through that are not um, from your traditional elk of being a librarian that they, they uh they wouldn't have to deal with so um i did i do commend you for all that you do and and being a curator um and we appreciate you being on the black male archives where we highlight positive stories about black males um where can the listeners uh find you and connect with you on social media and keep up with uh with some of your um your projects that are coming out uh, so I'm on Twitter. Um, you can just look me up by name. Um, I have sort of a complicated uh, <laughs> handle there. It's it's uh, Bibli B Us, but it's um, uh, let's see, it's like B I B L I underscore B E underscore U S. So Bibli B Us, um, and uh, yeah, that's how you can find me. And I and I, I typically update, you know, with with new things, new projects I have going on uh, through that social media platform. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure and an honor 
to um, to be in, in this podcast. And um, I thank you for the invitation. Thank, thank you, sir. Again, the Black Male Archives, where we capture, curate, and promote positive stories about black men, which you are one of. I appreciate your time, sir. Thank you for being on here. We're going to definitely keep in touch with you and follow up with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you.